Hello and welcome to The Bitten Word. I'm Ashley. I'm Christine. And we are here today recording on the first day of December, although you guys will get this episode much later, and we're starting our Christmas episodes. Yay! So we're going to have three Christmas episodes coming at you for the end of this season. We're going to be talking about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and The Turkish Delight. This one's sort of pseudo-Christmas. Okay, I think it totally counts because Santa makes an appearance, and oh, there's like a whole... that's true. I forgot about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and there's a whole big deal about Christmas, so we'll talk about that a little bit, but it totally counts. I mean... I guess technically people don't see this as a Christmas story, but it definitely has a large Christmas element in it. That's funny. I, I totally forgot about Santa. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you a like, pass. Seriously. <laughs> so, sorry, there will be spoilers here because this is one of those ones that's old enough that if you have not read the book or seen the movie, then you probably have heard at least something about it and goes on so we're just going to tell you the whole thing okay santa unfortunately does not make an appearance in the movie yes he does he does yes gosh <laughs> okay well i didn't get a chance to watch it before we recorded this so he's pivotal so we'll talk about you. we'll talk about santa um okay so here's here's a rough synopsis of the lion the witch and the wardrobe which was the first book that was actually written and published in the Chronicles of Narnia, but is the second book when you read the books chronologically, not by published date, but by what happened in them. Kind of like how sometimes people will watch Star Wars out of order. You watch four, five, six first, and then you watch one, two, three, right? Or sometimes Marvel movies are that way too. You can watch them in a chronological order, like from when they were released, or you can watch them in chronological order of when the action actually happened. Which is the superior way to watch them if you don't want okay. to be confused. I completely agree, except then it messes up the post-credit scenes. No, it really does. Yeah. So that's why you have to do like... Like, when you introduce them to your kids, you have to watch them in, like, release order. Same thing for Star Wars. It completely yes. destroys, like, the I'm your father scene. Yes. If you've seen, Precisely. you know, all of the originals. And, and it's, and, like, I feel like that, too, when you watch, when you've seen 4, 5, and 6, and then you watch 1, 2, and 3, that last scene where he becomes Darth Vader, I feel like is so, like, cool and powerful if you watch it, yeah. like in release order so i feel like with you when you're introducing it to your kids you have to watch it in release order and then watch it again in chronological order yes i agree i agree okay so here is a synopsis of the lion the witch and the wardrobe Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy Pevensey are four siblings who are sent to live in the country during world war ii um if you're not aware during World War II, this was like a really common thing. Um, they were, the Pevensey children were sent to live with somebody else in the country. So particularly children who lived in London or places around London, um, big cities that were being bombed during the Blitz, they would be sent away to people who volunteered to house them so that they could stay safe and not be killed in bombings which sounds like a good idea to me. 
but I am sure that it caused a lot of disruption and weirdness for children and families. So they go to the house of the eccentric Professor Kirk and they explore a lot. And one day Lucy finds a wardrobe. When she steps inside, she finds herself in a strange snowy place. She soon meets Mr. Tumnus, who is a fawn, who invites her to tea, but he then reveals that he serves the white witch and has been given the task of capturing humans for her. Uh, He also tells her that the white witch has enchanted Narnia so that it is always winter, but never Christmas. Uh, And it must be said here that Tumnus like feels really bad about this, that he's like captured her. And so he lets her go and she goes back home and she tells her siblings and they're, they of course don't believe her. Uh, They say that she's been gone for seconds, not hours. And Edmund in particular teases her mercilessly about this. But then he sees her walk into the wardrobe one day and he follows her in there and he ends up in Narnia as well. Lucy has already gone. Uh, She's meeting Mr. Tumnus again. But he, while he's wandering around, meets a woman who introduces herself as the Queen of Narnia. Spoiler, she's the White Witch. Lucy finds him there, and she's really excited that he has actually seen what she is seeing. And when they go back to tell Peter and Susan about it, Edmund lies and says that he did not actually go to Narnia. Because Edmund's a butthead. Yeah, he kind of is. But at this point, Peter and Susan start like worrying that Lucy's crazy and they go to talk to Professor Kirk about it, but he does what they don't expect and sides with Lucy and says, you know, is she usually the untruthful one? And they're like, no, actually, usually it's Edmund. And he's like, well, maybe you should believe her then. And they're like, what? That wasn't helpful. But then one day they all have reason to hide in the wardrobe and lo and behold, they all end up in Narnia (laughs) and they apologize to Lucy and they see that they have made a mistake. So they decide to explore. Lucy wants to have them meet Mr. Tumnus and this is where their adventure really begins. They find Tumnus gone. Uh, He has been taken by the white witch for treason, for not capturing Lucy. And they decide that they're going to try to help. They meet some beavers who talk um, at this point, and they start hearing about Aslan and how Aslan is going to come and bring spring again to Narnia, and he's going to conquer the white witch. So they all follow the beavers, but while they're talking to the beavers, Edmund leaves and goes to find the white witch because he has told her that he will bring his sisters and brother to her. She has a vested interest in this because there's a prophecy that says when there are two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve that come to Narnia, that that's when she'll be overthrown. Um, So... Edmund betrays them. He goes to the White Witch and is on her side. And the other three children travel with the beavers to meet Aslan. On their way, they do meet Santa. Um, We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then they meet Aslan. Aslan is a lion. 
uh, who has a very powerful presence. Edmund makes his way back to them. They kind of, they rescue him. They bring him back to camp and he talks quietly with Edmund. And then the white witch comes in and says, Edmund is a traitor and I have claim on his life based on the old laws of Narnia. Um, Aslan takes her into his tent and they have a quiet discussion and then she leaves and none of them know but Aslan has offered to give his life for Edmunds. This happens at the stone table. He goes by himself without telling anybody about it and he is killed by the white witch on the stone table. Lucy and Susan have followed him and are very upset about this. But then in the morning, he comes back to life. Um, he then takes Lucy and Susan and they go into battle with the White Witch and the White Witch is defeated and spring and Christmas come back to Narnia and everybody is happy. Um, Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy become the kings and queens of Narnia. They reign there happily for years and years. They they grow up to be young adults. And then one day they stumble upon the lamppost that was outside the wardrobe door. And they follow it curiously, thinking that they remember something happening. And they end up back through the wardrobe and back as children in England. The wardrobe no longer opens in Tanarnia. And their adventure is seemingly over. But see the next works in the Chronicles of Narnia. And you will see that the Pevensey children have more to do with Narnia later. So that was long, but it was a full uh, synopsis for your story here. This also, it bothers me that they never, like this is never connected in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because I didn't realize this until I read it somewhere else. But Professor Kirk was there when um narnia was created so like yes in the first book he was a little boy and he was like world hopping and ended up in narnia and but they don't tell you that professor kirk is diggory like oh do they not i feel like somewhere in there in one of the books it makes it pretty clear well i guess so i guess if you read them in publication order then you would know because you have mm. Professor Kirk and then you have, they call him Diggory Kirk, but it's like, it's just the last name and they only use it like one time. Um, and then he inadvertently creates the wardrobe by planting the seed of the apple that mm -hmm. he gets from Narnia. Um, and so, I mean, if you read it in that order, then it would probably be obvious that it was like him maybe. Um but I don't know, like when I read that first and then I was, I just, I was sitting here going, how'd this guy get the wardrobe? Like, it didn't occur to me that it was like the same person. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, Narnia shows up in a lot of other places as well, not just in the wardrobe and not just in this guy's house. Um, but it does tell you why he was willing to believe Lucy. Yeah. Right. Because he had an experience that was similar to that. So yeah, Christmas. And Santa. So I love that they say that she has enchanted Narnia to be winter always, but never Christmas. Even though it looks beautiful, you know, being all white and pristine and snowy and stuff, the fact that it's interminable would be really hard 
I think to deal with, especially because, you know, Christmas is something to look forward to. Um, We'll talk about this a little bit later too, but it is indicative of Christ coming and bringing joy to the world, right? So if it's never Christmas and it's never spring, they're in this stagnant place. They can't, they can't move forward. They can't progress. They can't feel joy. Um, And the white witch is keeping them in this state. So when the Pevensey children on their way to Aslan see Santa and it's actually Christmas, it means that Aslan has come um, and that the prophecy is being fulfilled and Narnia is beginning to progress again. Santa in this book is also pivotal because he gives each of them a gift that they use in the final battle. Um, Susan given a horn that can call uh, for help pretty much. Um, Peter is given a sword which he uses during the battle and Lucy is given a potion that will heal which ends up being a big deal when first of all the white witch is like turning people to stone. So this this liquid will first of all change them and it'll also heal people who've been killed on the battle or not killed I guess wounded on the battlefield including Edmund um, who gets wounded in the battle and she's able to save him with this. So Santa for them is really important. He he saves lives even. I love the way they talk about Santa, though, because it reminds Mm -hmm. me of something because they they are always like, oh, like I heard that Santa might be breaking through soon, you know, and it's like that means Aslan must be coming. And so they talk about him like he's this like mythical creature, whereas like in that world, he's very (laughs) real. But it makes me think of this this post um, where in the Justice League cartoon from like the early 2000s, there's a part where um, they show Superman trying to look at his presence like using his x-ray vision to see what his presents are but they're wrapped in lead paper (laughs) because his parents are like you know they know what's going on and so these people are just talking about like i love how you know clark kent like is so into christmas and this and that and they talk about there's a part where he like says he believes santa exists and they're like come on you're a grown man and you're an alien and you believe santa exists and they're like no but santa actually does exist in the dc universe and there's like, oh he does yes and there's comics where they show that every year he fights so dark side is like the big bad of the dc universe he's sort of equivalent to like thanos and so it says that every year he fights through like dark side's planet's defenses to give him a lump of coal and then leaves <laughs> so, and that's just what it makes me think of it's like santa's fighting through the white witch's defenses just to bring everyone gifts that's like, hilarious <laughs> well i guess in this sense kind of because They've been in in winter without Christmas for years and years and years and years. Like it, not just a few yeah. months, like a really, really, really long time. Longer than a lot of the people alive, I think, can even remember, really. Yeah. Well, and you have to think about it from like a practical point of view, too, because a lot, most of the people who live in Narnia are animals, like almost yeah. like basically everybody's an animal. Talking um, animals. Yeah. And so a lot of them would be like hibernating for the winter. 
um yeah that would like really screw them up and then you also don't have things that are growing like you aren't able Mm -hmm. to get fruits and vegetables and things like that and it would be um i think really hard just to live in a continuous winter absolutely i agree um okay I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on C.S. Lewis himself before we talk about the scene where the food is, because I think it will help us to have a better discussion about this. So when C.S. Lewis, who, okay, his name is Clive Staples Lewis. Staples? Well, my, my guess is that that's like a mom's maiden name or something Probably, like that. But still. Um. But he liked to be called Jack. So that's what people called him. I guess Jack is just a catch-all nickname. I don't know. Um, So when he was born, he was born into a Protestant family. But by the time he went to college, he was an atheist. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, He fought in World War I for like a really short period of time until he was wounded. And then he was sent home. But during that time and a little bit after, he he started looking back at Christianity and he started getting really annoyed by the fact that it made sense to him. Um, and so over several years, he really reluctantly and really slowly made his way back to Christianity. And in 1929, he officially like converted back. But once he was convinced, he spent the rest of his life trying to convince others. Um, his, his works, both fiction and nonfiction, all have, a, have Christian themes, some of them more obvious than others. Mm-hmm. Like the screw tape letters? Yes, like the screw tape letters, which is a fictional um, book, but it's, that one's a really good one. If, if you are Christian and interested in that, I, I really love that book. Um, it's, because it's relatable. It is funny. (laughs) Uh, it's written from in, in like letter format from a senior demon to a junior demon. And the junior demon has been assigned to a person, uh, and they're like asking for advice. So the senior demon is writing him letters about how to get this person to come away from God and how to make them mess up. And it is, it's very relatable. Okay. So we know that there are Christian overtones in everything that he wrote. Um, I will tell you right now that if you didn't pick that up during the synopsis, Aslan is absolutely a Christ figure. Mm-hmm. He redeems Edmund um, by laying down his life for him specifically. And then when he is killed, he's resurrected and he helps to defeat the evil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the first book, Aslan created Narnia. Yes. And, and later in later books, he shows up too. He's not quite as obvious as in these first two books, um, but he's there guiding in those books. And then in the very last book, they, they show scenes of what essentially would be these characters going to heaven and Aslan there to greet them and bring them home. Um, So Throughout the series, he he is a Christ figure. 
let's look at the scene itself. It's in a chapter called Turkish Delight. And this is when Edmund has come into Narnia and followed Lucy there. This is his first time there. And he meets the White Witch who introduces herself as the Queen of Narnia. So at first, she's kind of mean to him. She seems annoyed that he's there. She's like, I don't even know what kind of a being you are. Are you a dwarf? Like, that's just really big and you don't have a beard. And when she realizes that he's human, she changes her attitude entirely. She says, my poor child, she said in quite a different voice. How cold you look. Come and sit with me here on the sledge and I will put my mantle around you and we will talk. Okay, so Edmund is feeling really weird about this situation. Like he's kind of uncomfortable, but he feels like he can't disobey. Probably partially because she's an adult. Also because she has introduced herself as a queen, which for a British kid, I think would be a really big deal, right? You're not going to disobey the queen. And also because she was mean to him at first. So he's probably (laughs) afraid that she's going to be mean if he doesn't do it, right? So then she offers him something to drink and he says yes. And she like takes out this magic bottle and drops some things into the snow and like a cup appears and he drinks it and it says it's nothing that he's ever tasted before that it's warm and foamy and sweet and it warms him up butterbeer yeah i know right that probably (laughs) is exactly what it is okay but then it is dull son of adam to drink without eating said the queen presently what would you like best to eat turkish delight please your majesty said edmund The queen let another drop fall from her bottle onto the snow, and instantly there appeared a round box, tied with green silk ribbon, which, when opened, turned out to contain several pounds of the best Turkish delight. Each piece was sweet and light to the very center, and Edmund had never tasted anything more delicious. He was quite warm now, and very comfortable. While he was eating, the queen kept asking him questions. At first, Edmund tried to remember that it is rude to speak with one's mouth full, but soon he forgot about this and thought only of trying to shovel down as much Turkish delight as he could. And the more he ate, the more he wanted to eat. And he never asked himself why the queen should be so inquisitive. So while he's eating, she is asking him questions. She wants to know about his brothers and sisters. Have they been in Narnia before? Who did they meet there? And then it says, At last the Turkish delight was all finished, and Edmund was looking very hard at the empty box and wishing that she would ask him whether he would like some more. Probably the queen knew quite well what he was thinking, for she knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight, and that anyone who had once tasted it would want more and more of it, and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves, but she did not offer him any more. So she has bewitched him and she tells him that if he will bring his sisters and brother to her at her castle, that she will give him more Turkish delight. He even says like, why can't we just go right now? 
And she's mm-hmm. like, no, but mm-hmm. when you come, there are whole rooms full of Turkish delight. Um, I like this part because she's like, what would you like to eat? And he's just like, Turkish delight, just like whips it out there. Like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, because this can't be like a common thing, right? Like, like, I don't know. like maybe it is, but I imagine it'd be like you being like, I want a German chocolate cake. You know, it's like you just whipped out like the first indulgent yeah. thing you could think of, which is so funny to me because I like, I can tell you from experience when people go, what would you like to eat? I'm like, I don't know. What do you have? Cause I'm like, I don't want to be an yeah. inconvenience, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, also sometimes I don't know, you know, like, yeah. they're like, what do you want to eat? And I'm like, I don't know what sounds good. Yeah. Like, unless you're actually having a craving right that second, um but i guess maybe he just needed to move the action along so there's one more thing that i'd like to read to you before we discuss this is at the very end of this chapter uh when lucy and edmund find each other in narnia lucy is so excited that edmund has found himself there oh so she mentions the white witch and edmund asks who she is lucy says she's a perfectly terrible person She calls herself the Queen of Narnia, though she has no right to be queen at all. And all the fawns and dryads and naiads and dwarves and animals, at least all the good ones, simply hate her. And she can turn people into stone and do all kinds of horrible things. And she has made a magic so that it is always winter in Narnia. Always winter, but it never gets to Christmas. And she drives about on a sledge drawn by reindeer with her wand in her hand and a crown on her head. Edmund was already feeling uncomfortable from having eaten too many sweets, and when he heard that the lady he had made friends with was a dangerous witch, he felt even more uncomfortable. But he still wanted to taste that Turkish delight again more than he wanted anything else. And then he starts making excuses and rationalizations about the witch. Uh, saying, well, she was kind to me, even if she's not nice to everybody else, and things like that. Okay. So, some people say that each of these books in this series deals with one of the seven sins. So, if you were going to guess which one this book is, what would you say? Gluttony. Yep. <laughs> um, obviously, from this scene, right? <laughs> Well, I thought you, I thought it was going to be a kind of tricksy there for a second. Like it seems oh. like gluttony, but it's actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But something more obvious. So this Turkish delight and this scene with Edmund could very easily be a reference to Adam eating the apple in the garden. Um, I, I had never really thought about this particularly before, but I think that it really holds up because, um, so original sin is, you know, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden and are then expelled. And many Christian religions believe that that sin is then passed on to every human. And that act is what necessitated Christ coming down and offering himself for people right and this is exactly what happens in this book edmund eats this turkish delight he is essentially he expels himself from his own family right 
um, and from his own world and goes to serve the witch instead, which then necessitates Aslan giving his life for Edmund in order to redeem him. I can see that. That seems like a very baseline metaphor, though. Well, of course, of course. But this is not an exact metaphor, I guess, for that story. This is more of like an overview. Yeah. Kind of, right? Because it's also personifying, essentially, I guess, the devil in in The White Witch. Um, But once again, that's not an exact replica either interestingly though i read i read a plate on some website they were like well this doesn't fall in line though because this is not normal devil imagery and stuff but if you read dante the like ninth circle of hell is not fiery inferno it is freezing and that's that's what she is personifying too so i don't know and he's huge Satan is like enormous. Yeah. And, and and Jadis is always described as being like exceptionally tall. That's true, actually. Interesting. I wonder if that's where he got some of his mm-hmm. imagery from. But whether or not that is, I mean, I'm sure that that's what he meant. But even if it wasn't, this is definitely, definitely, definitely food as temptation. Yes. Yeah, she uses this, and it is enchanted, okay? Um, but she uses this to get information, to get him on her side, and she specifically asks, what do you want, rather than offering him something yeah. that he may or may not find enjoyable, uh, in order, I think, to trap him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because that is something we talk about a lot in our own theology, right, is that the devil tempts you with things that you want. Yeah, like, it's absolutely. It's not going to be a temptation if it's not something you want, right? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, just in, sure. in little steps, right? Because ultimately, she's looking to destroy Aslan, and it starts with Turkish Delight. Yeah, interesting. Um, And, okay, so one last little interesting tidbit here. In the recent Disney Plus show, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, in episode four, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Spoilers. So, yeah, Sam and Bucky. They're looking for, um, they're looking for some people who are trying to like steal Super Soldier Serum, and Baron Zemo, who comes back from our previous movie, the Civil War. He is back and kind of working for the not working for them but kind of working with them and kind of not working with them because that's like bad guy mo right and so they go into this like orphanage and baron zemo uses turkish delight to ask all of the kids in that orphanage questions without them realizing that they're like giving him information that he needs interesting i hadn't thought about that yeah, I hadn't either, but I saw it I, on Wikipedia, actually, because it brought up Turkish Delight in other popular things, and there were, like, three mentions. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was really interesting because it's exactly the same thing. So she gives Edmund this in order to get information to get her, to get him on her side, to get him to do things for her, which is exactly how he uses the Turkish Delight 
in this. And they're in some place or in that region um, when it happens. And so I wonder if that just means that Turkish delight is still like a really big deal. I think it is. Okay, so let's talk about what exactly it is. So it's called lokum in Turkish. And it is a like range of confections, candies based on a sugary gel. Mm -hmm. Um, Premium varieties have things like chopped dates or nuts in them bound by the gel. And they are packaged in like small cubes and covered in powdered sugar so that they don't stick to each other. They're very sticky. Yeah. The closest thing that I can think of, which is not exactly the same thing, but in America would be like orange slices. Oh, yeah. Or like gumdrops. You know? Yeah. Or like gumdrops. Another thing is, is that um, Turkish Delight was a precursor to the jelly bean oh. with the gel inside. The difference is that jelly beans are a whole lot smaller and they have kind of that crunchy sugary coating yeah, on the outside that make them dry. The yeah. Yeah, they can be. Yeah, Turkish Delight is a lot lighter and like yes. bouncier though than any yeah. of these things. So common flavors for Turkish Delight would be things like rose water. Um, yeah, well, perfumey, right? Orange is one, but it wouldn't be as heavy handed and as fake. And lemon and then mastic gum, which apparently is a tree resin. So like a kind of syrup. That they probably just sugary, like brown sugar type of. Yeah. Um, That was a common one that I saw a lot, though. And then things like cinnamon and mint, which sounds right to me, too, along with rose water being from that part of the world. I used orange blossom water in mine. Oh, did you? That would be a really subtle um, orangey flavor there. So in Arabic, so locum is kind of like the shortened term that they use in Turkish, but in full formal Arabic, the what you call it is rahat alukum, which means throat comfort. Interesting. Yeah, I thought so too, um, because I wouldn't describe it as that. Like for me, it's like hot chocolate or tea or something like that would be more like throat comfort. But I guess this is like, it tastes good in your mouth and then it goes down your throat. I don't know. So it dates back almost 500 years and it's pretty much unchanged from when it started. (laughs) So the story is that there was a sultan who was trying to, in one website that I saw, it said trying to please. And in another one, it said trying to cope with all of his mistresses. (laughs) 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 i guess um and so he demanded production of like a unique dessert to bring to them and his royal chefs like (laughs) developed this this cracking me up he's like you guys need to chill out here is some sugar (laughs) leave me alone (laughs) this will keep you occupied for a while like how you deal Um, with kids (laughs) (laughs) um so this is like in or i guess in like 1777 it said but that's very specific so like late 1700s it uh started becoming more popular 
I guess somebody perfected it kind of, and they said that he came out and started a store at that point in time. Um, and that it got really popular. People started buying it, you know, in pounds, they, it became an object used for courting. They would wrap it up like in special cloths, like hmm. lace and stuff. And can we bring that back? Bring me, sweets I know, right? Night, like pretty sweets. <laughs> yeah, I want that. That sounds nice to me. Although that would be a complaining thing because anytime I try to buy a chocolate that costs more than 50 cents, Brett's like, why does it cost so much money and it's so small? <laughs> you know, like, well, and not only that, but like the more expensive and the prettier food gets, the less, the less good it tastes. A lot of times that's true. I always feel like that in like French bakeries. Yes, like anytime I get pretty stuff from French bakeries, it always tastes like chocolate. Yeah. I don't, it's either it's pretty or it's tasty like it's hard to get both it's really annoying which i guess is why in bake-off they're like taste matters more but then yeah. they always get mad when it doesn't look nice yeah and then they have um, them make like american things like brownies and cinnamon rolls and then get mad when they taste american i know right they always do <laughs> like why is this so sweet and i'm like excuse me have you ever had a brownie <laughs> I know. Or like I was watching recently and they one it was like make a chocolate cake, right? And so I'm thinking like, okay, chocolate cake, chocolate frosting, chocolate ganache, you know, maybe a couple of different kinds of chocolate or something like that. But they were all like, well, we don't want it to taste too chocolatey. So we're going to put a bunch of dried fruit in our chocolate cake. And then we're going to put like a vanilla frosting on our chocolate cake. I'm like, that's not a chocolate cake. Oh, I said, uh, British people, but it was muted. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay. So speaking of Brits, um, it was a British traveler that brought it west, right? And he called it he called it Turkish delight because he got it from Turkey, and so that's why how it got its name. And apparently, it has never been successfully manufactured in Europe. Interesting. Yeah, like they just. I don't know what it is. Like they can't get the hang of it. Somebody has blamed like the water in Europe. They just they haven't been able to do it. Water. Like anytime you can't make anything the same way, it's always like, oh, well, you don't have the kind of water we have. Like you yeah, know, you do in New York or whatever. <laughs> um, interestingly, though, in in English, it also was formerly known as lumps of delight. So that's Lovely. very appetizing. <laughs> um. So that store that I talked about in 1777, this guy left and made this store. Supposedly, the original shop and family are still running that store in Turkey. Interesting. So it's like, I know the lady that's running it now, she's the fifth generation of people to run this store. I got to say, now that we've said lumps of delight, um, the song My Humps is running through my mind and I'm just imagining <laughs> that as a line in that song. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is traditionally served with coffee. Um, mm. I don't know why. That I feel yeah, like it seem like those be, better. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be particularly complimentary to coffee. Not really, especially since it's kind of fruity, right? A lot of the time, mm. I don't know. Well, I can imagine, though, because I made a whole pan of this, and I'm not going to eat anywhere close to all of it. 
And so I put it out on my mom group and was like, who wants to try Turkish delight? And it came back with, you mean like what they eat in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Oh, really? We'll try some, so yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, well, on that note, let's go ahead and try ours. So I bought my Turkish delight. Um, Christine made hers. She already said orange blossom. I didn't get any of the normal flavors. What'd you get? It says strawberry, peach, melon, tangerine, and blackberry. But this is in English and Turkish. So I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But I didn't get any of them. But I've got a very light colored one right here that I'm going to give a go and then dropping powdered sugar everywhere so i wanted to do an orange color but i didn't have orange food coloring so i just Ew. went with red <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay the reason why it's you is because i got a melon flavored one it's like cantaloupe flavor <laughs> i hate cantaloupe so <laughs> i'm gonna put that one aside <laughs> Oh my gosh. Why was that so funny? I don't know. <laughs> this cantaloupe flavor is disgusting. It it tastes like a cantaloupe. It's pretty true. Ew, it's really nasty. I'm gonna need something else to get it out of my mouth. I can't even try mine. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess part of the reason why it's so funny is so the last time I had Turkish delight was in <laughs> Turkey. When I was like 10, and it was horrible. <laughs> oh, really? I don't remember having it. I remember baklava, but I didn't like nuts at the time, so I would I, eat it. I don't think you were on that trip. That was the trip where I made Hunter puke. Playing oh, the okay. So that, that was a different one. That was like when you were like 12, I guess 14. I was older. Yeah, I <clears> you were a little older. Yeah. No, yeah. If it was that trip, then I was 15. Okay. Now I'll try my piece. Okay, I ate a peach-flavored one, and that was considerably better than the melon one. It is a lot lighter than I thought it would be. Yeah. Because it feels really dense, but, like, it's not at all chewy. Oh, my gosh. There's literally powdered sugar everywhere. <laughs> um, I don't know. This isn't bad. I This is probably a lot. I think my expectations were very, very low because I hated yeah. the Turkish delight that I had in Turkey. Did it have nuts in it or date? I don't remember. I don't think so. I think maybe it was just 15-year-old taste buds. Possibly, yeah. And maybe it was just the flavors. American taste buds. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this isn't bad. I, I only put the smallest amount of orange blossom water in it because it is so easy for flavors, like botanical water flavors, to go, like, crazy. <laughs> yeah. I agree to especially like to taste perfumey like lavender yes. and soapy I guess like, kind of yeah. too. I have rose water but I didn't do rose water because I was afraid it was going to end up like that and I don't love rose water anyway. Um, yeah. Orange blossom water is very very similar but it has I think just a little bit better of a flavor and so I used that just because I wasn't sure like how else to flavor it mm-hmm. if you're not using like an oil or a botanical water you know. Yeah. Okay, so I just ate three and a half tiny cubes, and I'm, like, feeling really tapped out because it's super sweet. Yeah. Edmund ate several pounds of this. I'd barf. Oh, my gosh, me too. It is a lot of sugar. Very, very sugary. Um, little bit goes a long way, I feel like. 
I think just anything like any desserts like this too that are spongy or gelatiny or you know things like that are just like really filling and I just yeah. eat a lot before I'm like before I'm done so I think we said in our last episode we were, we were talking about this that like supposedly Turkish delight is really complicated to make yeah well um, the process that they do like the famous one it said online that they take like five hours boiling and then it takes like five hours to set and so I was like this is gonna take forever but yeah so I made it and it was not that bad um so basically you make a sugar syrup and then you make um a, like a cornstarch slurry that you cook until it becomes a paste and then you combine the two add your flavoring and then you let it set and so it was not a big deal it did it after you combine them they have to cook for they have to simmer for an hour um but that's just simmering like it doesn't require any work on your part mm -hmm. and so um after that you just pour it in the mold and then i let it set overnight and then you cube it and you roll it in sugar so i think i i compared it to marshmallows last time but it was i think it was considerably faster and simpler than making homemade marshmallows um and so it was not that bad so i mean if you're really intent on trying this um and you can't find it near you like or don't want to buy it online it's not too bad to make um it is very sticky though it will get your entire stove top and all your dishes and stuff <laughs> really sticky and it will be kind of a nightmare to clean so so there's that yeah to entice you to make this <laughs> but yeah overall good in small amounts is my takeaway here yeah so what do you think you would be able to eat several pounds of if you were edmund Ugh. i don't know like sweets or yeah well i don't know because she just says what do you want to eat she didn't specify it has to be sweets i guess that's true i don't i mean in reality right i don't think i could eat several pounds of anything but in theory well, of course maybe like brisket <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking the potatoes that roast under my chickens like they're full yeah. of chicken fat <laughs> i could eat those into oblivion yes um there are a lot of potato things that i could probably eat of yeah me too um brett makes what he calls american fried potatoes for breakfast sometimes which are just really thinly sliced oh. potatoes that have then been fried in like pan fried all together so sometimes there's some crunchy pieces and some soft sticking together pieces and oh my gosh they're amazing uh, i could eat waffle, a lot of those waffle house hash browns man i could eat pounds of that crap <laughs> Really? I don't think yes. I've ever been. I've only been to Waffle House like twice. And I don't know if I ever got hash browns there. Hash browns at IHOP are pretty good, though. Okay, I was going to say hash browns at IHOP were my baseline and hash browns at Waffle House taste exactly the same. And so, but I feel like Waffle House hash browns are more like ubiquitous in people's minds. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe. Um, I do like trashy McDonald's hash browns as well. Those are good. But they're, they're, they're horrible when you burp them up later. <laughs> <laughs> also not good cold. No hash browns oh. are good cold. No, McDonald's, uh, all food across the board is good for about three minutes while it's hot. Yeah. And then it goes yes. to absolute crap. <laughs> <laughs> and then you need to throw it away. All right. Well, that is all we have for you today for the lion the witch and the wardrobe and the turkish delight and the beginning of our christmas celebration Yay. next week 
join us as we continue our three episode thing (laughs) for the night before Christmas and we will be making sugar plums. And let me tell you, we have both now accidentally said the nightmare before Christmas. So it tells yeah. you which thing is more prominent in our minds. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, yes, please join us for that. If you're enjoying the show, we would really love it if you would share the episode with your friends. Just send them a text with the little share button on whatever podcast app you use. Please also rate and review if you have just a second. It would really help us out and we would love you and love you and love you forever. Please also visit us on Instagram at the bitten word podcast and on Twitter at the bitten pod. You can see pictures of our Turkish delight there. You can get the recipe for the very sticky kitchen-ness there as well. And if you want to email us, you can do so at the bitten word podcast at gmail.com. Before we go, I want to give a little shout out to Bernie. So I only recently realized that there's a app called Good Pods that our podcast shows up on and we have been getting ratings and little individual episode reviews from Bernie. She has she has mentioned us on Twitter quite a few times and is like one of our consistent listeners. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry that we did not see that until just now, but thank you very much for all of your kind words and ratings. They mean yes. a lot. We appreciate that very much. And, and we're happy outs. you're enjoying it. Yes. <laughs> uh, you're one of our um, British listeners. So yay. Yay. Sorry, we I like went, our British ugh, listeners. British people are <laughs> 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 She'll forgive you. I'm sure she says, ugh, American yeah. people all the time. <laughs> if she's not, then she's crazy. So <laughs> I do that too. Ugh, American yeah, people. I, yeah, honestly. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so thank you so much. Yes. Okay. So thank you for joining us today. Please join us next week for Sugar Plums. And until then, happy reading and Merry Christmas.